Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, greetings. Good afternoon to you. Thanks for coming along for the uh, the Friday. It's the Friday edition. Did it like oh. all day long? You've been laboring under the uh, mistaken understanding that it was like a Thursday. A, a, okay. Perhaps it was Thursday. Yeah. We did think on Wednesday it was Thursday. Right. All three of us did, which but, was weird. But it, it is Groundhog Day. It is Groundhog Day. And Phil came through. It's all good news. Mm-hmm. So apparently he did not see his shadow. No. But considering there were 30,000 people on Gobbler's Knob, mm-hmm. hard to see anybody's shadow. Yeah, I think so. Uh, including uh, our guest, Dave Moore, who was on the program yesterday, mm-hmm. journeying with his family from South Dakota to the Knob. A 17-hour nonstop drive mm-hmm. from South Dakota. Mm-hmm. I've made that trip, but never like that. <laughs> and certainly not for that purpose. Because <laughs> why would you do that? I mean, you know, there are those true believers. Yeah, and right? he's certainly one of them. Fabulous. I got a text from Dave Moore yeah. today. Uh, Just chiming in on the uh, festivities y- uh, at, uh, Cobbler's just Knob? giving giving me the update here. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see what he said here. Okay. He said, uh, best party I go to all year. Excellent. Actually, the only party I go to all year. Well, he's from South Dakota. But once you've made the trek, there's no point going anywhere else. <laughs> okay. If you can do one party, I guess you can do it early in your year. Right? If you missed uh, hearing about his trek to uh, Gobbler's Knob, you should check out our podcast mm-hmm. from yesterday because it's funny. Very nice. Uh, it doesn't necessarily feel spring-like out there No, today, but it? I think I should probably tell you. Tell me. Your weekend has begun. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Such a faithful you who are mm-hmm. truly. I mean, it's here. We are just a few minutes past the four o'clock hour. At least in this corner of the world, all is right and well. Mm-hmm. So we appreciate your presence here for the Friday show because we got a really big show for you. We sure do. Coming up in the five o'clock hour today, uh, the top Super Bowl food in every state. Hmm. Dips, chips, tots, you name it. Love it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bring it. You might be surprised uh, what's the number one Super Bowl food in Pennsylvania. No kidding. All I right. think Pennsylvania is a large state. Yes. And so, do you know what I mean? We're a little schizophrenic. Exactly. So the East and West, mm. I don't know. I, the, the East part of the state. It's like it, we should divide it in the middle. I think so, too. And we should just split up a little yeah. because there's not a whole lot of commonality there. Yep, I agree. Anyway, so we'll talk about that. Uh, also, um, an Easter poster depicting a fresh-faced Jesus angers some people in Spain. This is serious business. Yeah. This has been going on. This poster and this celebration goes on for a long time, and this depiction has upset some folks. Uh, Not only that, Sabbath is not a luxury good. Mm -hmm. God designed rest for everybody, not just for the people who can take Sunday off. I like it. I think that's a really very, very good point. I'm looking forward to that conversation. And um, what is the Crown TV show, now that it's ending, or has ended, doing with all the stuff We'll talk about that yeah, and much get, more ahead in the Friday is. edition. All right. Get yourself a carriage and uh, need some horses to 
But yeah, that's the, the carriage that like the to do that. queen drove in. Mm-hmm. But without further ado, as we always kick off the show, Kath, the news uh, beckons. Give us the top four at four. For Friday, February 2nd, 2024, Groundhog Day, John. Number one. President Joe Biden just today attended the dignified transfer at Dover Air Force Base of the three U.S. Army reservists killed Sunday in a drone strike in Jordan. Sergeant William Jerome Rivers, age 46, of Carrollton, Georgia. Specialist Kennedy Layden Sanders, age 24, of Waycross, Georgia. And Specialist Brianna Alexandria Moffat, age 23 of Savannah, Georgia, killed in a drone strike over the weekend on the U.S. base in Jordan near the border with Syria and Iraq. The president had spoken previously with families of the fallen. According to the White House, he expressed to them how proud we all are of their service, how we mourn and feel sorrow over their loss. He made sure that those families knew that not only was the service and sacrifice going to be honored and respected, but that they would continue to get the support that they need as they work through what no family wants to have to go through. Read more about that at ABC News. Number two. What a strange and bizarre story, John. Uh, Joshua Schulte, the former CIA employee who leaked a trove of classified information to WikiLeaks, has been sentenced to 40 years in prison. The cache of information published by WikiLeaks, which was dubbed Vault 7, was the largest data breach in the history of the CIA and among the largest leaks of classified info in U.S. history. It, quote, profoundly damaged the CIA's ability to collect foreign intelligence against adversaries. It put operatives in danger. It damaged national security. It cost the agency hundreds of millions of dollars. But that's not what put Joshua Schulte in prison for 40 years. He's 35 years old. He was convicted back in 22 of crimes, including illegal gathering and transmission of national defense information. But the 40 years imprisonment he received yesterday was for possessing thousands of child pornography images and videos discovered on his computer during the FBI investigation into the leak. I mean, it's such a, a shocking, appalling story. The Vault 7 leaks were among the, a number of high-profile publications by WikiLeaks. Uh, that, of course, was founded by Julian Assange, who the U.S. is seeking to extradite from the U.K. to face prosecution. I don't understand. I know. I don't understand. Number three. Slovak President Zuzana Kapitova will visit the University of Pittsburgh this weekend, John. Really? To meet with Chancellor Joan Gable and other campus leaders because, you ready for this? Hmm. Pitt has the only permanent Slovak studies program in the United States. Uh-huh. Yeah, really? Yeah. The only, so you can get a degree in Slovak studies? Yes. It's the only place in America. Fabulous. Yeah. Slovakia became an independent country back in 93 after the split of Czechoslovakia. About five and a half million people live there. Uh, the space is smaller than Pennsylvania. Hmm. And number four, I got a weird animal story for you. Oh, bring it for a Friday. Indian police, John, cleared a suspected Chinese spy pigeon. Yes, that's what I said. Chinese spy pigeon after eight months detention and released it into the wild. And that's your top four at four. Chinese. Would you like some more information? Low-tech and high-tech. Please tell me. The pigeon's ordeal, John, started back in May when it was captured in Mumbai with two rings tied to its legs carrying words that looked Chinese. Mm. Police suspected it was involved in espionage and took it into custody. But eventually, it turned out the pigeon was an open-water racing bird from Taiwan that had escaped and made its way (laughs) to India. So wrongfully accused. Yes. The pigeon. But free. 
The bird was transferred to the Bombay Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, where doctors set it free. The Mumbai police could not be reached for comment. (laughs) But strangely, it's not the first time that a bird has come under police suspicion in (laughs) India, because back in 2020, police in Kashmir apprehended a pigeon belonging to a Pakistani fisherman which had flown across the heavily militarized border between the two nuclear-armed nations because they assumed it was a spy. Mm-hmm. Well, you also, can't be too sure. Also, wrongfully detained, the pigeon was later released. Mm. Well, you get the word out in the, uh, the bird community, stay be, yeah, away exactly. from the border. That's paranoia to the highest degree. Be careful. But you never know. You be careful of your enemies. All right, that's, uh, that's, that's kicking off a Friday show. All right, we're going to go from birds to groundhogs to Richard Mao and eye contact. He'll join us next. This is Pittsburgh's Christian Talk. It's the ride home on 101.5 Word FM. That's W-O-R-D. You've seen this action. You may have done the action where someone points their finger at someone, holds up two fingers, and then that person points the two fingers at themselves, Mm -hmm. which means, look at me. Mm -hmm. Let's make eye contact here. It's always of vital importance. You're grabbing someone's attention, usually usually in sports. Or it's a conductor. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I in a, in a choir, I've had that many, oh, many, really? many times in a choir concert, yeah. in a, or Let's in go. any musical uh, situation. That's you'll see that a lot. Make eye contact yeah. with me. I have something to tell yes. you. Right? Yeah. yeah well, that's uh, important. The importance of eye contact. Richard Miles back with us. Richard's been a regular guest of our show over the many years. He's professor of faith and public life at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, where he served as president for twenty years. Uh, the author of numerous books. His latest is called Restless Faith, Holding Evangelical Beliefs in a World of Contested Labels. Richard, friend, we're on the radio. We can't see you eye to eye. We'll have to imagine that. (laughs) It's good to hear your voices, though, but I I wish I could actually uh, look into your eyes. Yeah. Okay, so eye contact. Um, I want to start with a scripture passage, which is the 10th chapter of Mark. And before I read it, um, just to kind of let the listeners in on uh, kind of what our conversation has been, um, you heard a sermon preached on this passage, and it wasn't what you expected. So let me read the passage, and then we'll talk about what you heard. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. Very nice. Okay, so so what did you expect to hear in the sermon? Well, you know, I've heard so many, as you guys do. We've heard so many sermons on that. And it always has to do with this rich young ruler who comes and... And when Jesus tells them, if you really want to inherit eternal life, you need to sell all that you have to give to the poor. And he could not bring himself to do that. And it was a sad thing. 
And sometimes we get a kind of picture of Jesus being harsh with them. But other times we get a picture of Jesus being kind of gentle with them and sad, really, that uh, he wasn't able to connect with this guy in the right sort of way. And uh, but but, you know, in this case, I heard this sermon and the whole thing was about the importance of eyes. And he looked at him and mm-hmm. <laughs> looked mm-hmm. at yeah. him. What a stupid thing, you know. To get out of that passage. Of all the things you can get out of that passage, that's what you got out. But I love it because it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's right. That's right. And, you know, this is such an important lesson. And and as I said, I wish I could find that preacher. I forget who it was even. But I've often mentioned that as the worst sermon I've ever heard, you know, Uh, because it's just not really getting at what the text. But it is an important point. And it's an element in that account that I, I, I have, and many of us have failed to ignore, and that is, or failed to pay attention to, and that is that, that Jesus really did love this guy, and he looked at him, and I think in many ways the sadness of the guy had to do with the fact that he, he, the Son of God was looking at him in a loving sort of way, not in a demanding, angry, you know, mm-hmm. denunciation of a rich person. And and I think that's so important. So I tell this story about a, a student who told me that uh, through all of his years of study, he, he always wanted to enter into class conversation, but he was afraid to ask questions in class or to to make a, a comment about it. You know, the teacher would say, anybody have anything to do with it? And he would, he would uh, not want to do it because he was afraid. And he said at one point he decided to take the move and he raised his hand, and he said the professor walked all the way over to where he was in the, the row and stood in front of him, and the professor looked him in the eyes and said, uh, what do you have to say? And he said, he looked at me. <laughs> this was a life-changing experience for him as a student. Yeah. The professor looked at me, yeah. and, and it was a loving sort of thing. And I, I do think that it's over. You know, many of us know people who never give you our contact. You know, I've seen preachers actually preach sermons where they're always looking at the ceiling. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, that sense of um, when a person actually looks you in the eyes, and if it's not a harsh look, but it's a loving look, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference. And so I, I do think that having eye contact is very important. You know? Oh yeah. We're in this age now where people, I'm sure you've heard this phrase, Richard, people want to be seen. That's right. Right? And, of course, we live in this really weird age where we're all behind our screens uh, the majority of the day, so we're not looking up at things. We Everybody's hungry to be seen, but we're, like your friend, in some ways awkward about it, Or, but we know that we need it. We desire it. It's the importance of being alive to be seen. Yeah. And, you know, that all those studies that are showing that one of the big problems in our culture today is loneliness. And you can be in a sitting in a classroom full of people and you can feel lonely. You can be sitting in a congregation and feel lonely. And if somebody just looks you in the eyes, uh, there's something healing about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the fact that the Son of God looked at him. I just think that's a wonderful picture. Of, uh, 
I, I was I was actually reading the other day about the uh, the woman with the issue of blood, you know, and mm-hmm. she reached out and 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 then and touched his garment, and Jesus said, "Who touched me?" And yeah. it doesn't say it there, but I like to think that Jesus looked her in the eyes, mm-hmm. yeah. and that she felt this person has has seen me. He didn't just feel some power go out of him, but he actually looked at me in, in, in a loving sort of way. Yeah. 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 We're talking to Dr. Richard Mao, former president of Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, Richard, when I think about things that we've lost during COVID, and there's a lot of things, uh, but I think eye contact is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I especially noticed that with kids who were in high school. Uh, who, you know, ended or maybe graduated from high school during COVID or uh, maybe started high school during COVID. There's no, they, I don't think they've learned that they haven't like gotten to that maturity point. No, that's right. No. And, and, you know, the, we, we, we hear a lot of crazy stuff about body language and like, but 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 there, our bodies are a very important part of encountering others, yeah. and the eyes are a very important part of the body. You know. Yeah. And and, uh, and so this uh, this really says there's something about connecting that is more than just saying things, right. but that there's a kind of communication that takes place in other ways by just the way you shake a person's hand. Yep. Or just reach out to a person and just put your hand on theirs. I understand. I hear what you're saying. That's so important. As parents, we know that, I I think. But Mm -hmm. uh, it's also very important just in these days when there's such a polarization in our society. And, uh, you know, I've been talking a lot to pastors and others. How do we get people in our congregations who have very different political views to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think the talking includes a a genuine desire to listen so that when the other person is talking, you're looking that person in the eye and you're communicating that you're really listening to them. Right. That's a common thing. I mean, I I remember I had an African-American friend who who would talk about this. You know, he would say, as a black guy, people don't see me. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, and I think this is a common thing for all of us. As you get older, right, you're used to being seen in your teens, in your 20s, and all the glory of your beauty. And then when you get older, 50s, 60s, 70s, you disappear. People don't engage you, right? That's right. Yeah. You become something else. Right. You know that that wonderful hymn that Mary sang when the angel came? We call it the Magnificat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it has this line, for he has regarded the lowest state yeah. of his handmaid. I mean, she was in big trouble, you know, a pregnant virgin, <laughs> not yet betrothed, but not yet un- no longer under her father's care, you know, big trouble. And and when I, I once preached on that, and I did some of the background, and that word he has regarded, it, it's, it's the kind of thing that a beggar at the gate was saying, please, alms, alms, and... People just walk by and ignore him. Mm-hmm. And then there's a moment when somebody stops and looks the beggar in the eye. And, and, and there's that sense, I have been regarded, you know. And those are wonderful moments uh, for people. That somebody heard me because they saw me. And, uh, yeah, 
Anyway, that's a good lesson for all of us today. Yeah, it is a good lesson. Yeah. I'll take that, Richard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. last, the, the last thing, Richard, is I, I, I also think that making eye contact is makes you vulnerable, and I think that yes. can be hard. Yes, it really. This is true. It's not the easiest thing to do. Uh, I know when you know you're having an argument with somebody, right? And uh, you want to kind of roll your eyes up. <laughs> What a stupid thing that person has said, you know? Right. And there's nothing worse than looking at the ceiling when a person has said something with a disgusted thing. But mm-hmm. actually to to focus on that person and to keep your eye contact with that person, uh, that doesn't mean you're agreeing with them, but it does mean that you're taking them seriously as, a, as another human being who... Mm-hmm has their own fears, their own hopes, their own anxieties, their own convictions. Yes. And so that phrase, I'll, I'll, I'll think about this phrase throughout the day, Richard. Jesus looked at mm-hmm. him and loved him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Would, would we be so fortunate to have had Jesus in our presence? But Jesus does see us, and he does yes. love us. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the wonderful promise is that we will see him face to face, you know. <laughs> And that there will come a time when he will just look at us, you know, and we will have, I, 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 have, I, I really think one of the wonderful things about heaven is that there will be eye contact there. Huh. And yeah. it may even be that we have eye contact with people that we've had trouble with in our lives. Yeah, that's you know? uh, I can think of people in my own family that uh, I hope when I see them again that we can... Uh, we can look each other in the eye. Mm-hmm. And that may be a part of the healing that takes place in, in heaven. Yes. Yeah. Richard, Richard Miles with us, Fuller Theological Seminary. Richard, uh, here we are. It's another <laughs> cold and cloudy day <laughs> yeah, in the it's, city of Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's a surprise. <laughs> but you, I believe, hopefully, tell us you've got good news where you are. Yeah, well, we were supposed to have this big rain, and we had some yesterday, and we'll have it tomorrow. But it's a, a beautiful sunny day and uh, everything is well in the world Excellent. you know uh, Taylor Swift is doing well and, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Pittsburgh teams are not doing all that no, well no but, no, uh, no, all yeah. no wait no so uh, you're a fan of Taylor Swift is that what you're saying <laughs> you know, isn't it fascinating how we have become so taken up with that yeah. relationship? There's something wonderful about it. I think, I so think there is too. I Richard. love it. The, the, the element of romance. Yes, it's uh, good to it's see. Still an important part of it in a manipulative culture where very often male-female relationships are unhealthy ones. Yes. Yeah, people are uh, angry the about fact it. That, that she. She wants to run up and kiss him, you know? Uh, I mean, I, I, I like her a lot better than I like him, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's leave sports out of it. Let's, let's focus on romance, Richard. <laughs> the, uh, I love the, you guys. And, love you uh, too, Richard. I yeah. wish I could look you in the face. Yeah. Richard, I, we I often talk about, we say, we're going to take you. a road trip and drive out and see you one of these days. Hey, great. Good. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. It's Dr. Richard Mao, former president of Fuller Theological Seminary. It is Friday, and that music signifies the time for this or that. I have a list. 
Kath has a list, mm. and here we are. I would say this is the Punxsutawney Phil oh. edition. Oh, that's exciting. Okay. Punxsutawney Phil. Mm-hmm. Phil Mickelson. Oh, well, based on the uh, how Phil Mickelson's done in the last few years, I'm going to go with Punxsutawney Phil. <laughs> Phil Collins. Yeah? Phil Knight. Oh, Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. Come mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Sousa Studio? Yeah. <laughs> Phil Hartman. Phil Sims. Uh, I don't really love Phil Sims. Phil, Phil Hartman. He seems a little didactic to me. I'm going Phil Hartman. You have to. Phil Donahue. <laughs> Phil Jackson. Oh, um, Phil Jackson. Mm. I mean, he's weird. Yeah, but it, he's a winner. He's a, I mean, yeah. he's weird. But Phil Donahue was also weird. Oh, he was a giant star. Yeah, he was. Phil Spector. Oh. Regis Phil- Philbin. <laughs> Regis. Regis. That's a good one. Phil Spector was a creep. Yeah, he was in prison. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Philip Rivers. Oh, I love Philip Rivers. You know he has nine children. What? Yeah. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Philip Glass. Philip Roth. Um, I'll go Philip Roth. Mm Mm-hmm. Switching up. (laughs) Whack-a-mole. Jack in the box. (laughs) Oh, Mm whack-a-mole. Because it seems like life. Mm Mm-hmm. The Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah. The Philistines. Oh! <laughs> uh, I'm actually choosing the Phillies. I don't hate yeah. the Phillies. I don't. I just don't. Well, their we were team, just talking about the cross state. Yeah, there are teams I hate, but right? I don't hate that one. Philip the Apostle. Yeah. The Book of Philippians. Oh, I love the Book of Philippians. Come yeah. on, it's everybody's favorite mm-hmm. book. It's like encouraging and pray without ceasing and, you know, don't be anxious. That's my fill. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, we were inspired by the same thing. Were we? Because it's Groundhog Day. Yes. Uh, so I was thinking about the movie Groundhog Day. Oh, yes. And so I Excellent. present to you the Groundhog Day edition of This or That. Love it. Things you don't want to do twice. <laughs> Are you ready? I will. Thank you. Root canal or colonoscopy? Mm, yeah. Well, the colonoscopy you have to do. You well, if ha- the root canal comes up, you're going to have to do that, too. Yeah, yes. Uh, uh, the root canal. Okay. Yeah. Chicken pox or kidney stone? Mm, no, kidney stones. Okay. I do not want to do that. No, thank Chicken you. Chicken pox is terrible. Uh, downhill ski, John, or rock climb? Uh, Same mountain. Rock climb. Number four, high school or college? Oh, I love them both. I, do, <laughs> high school. Okay. Continuing the Groundhog Day edition, things you don't want to do twice. Speak in front of 10,000 people live, John, or walk into a room of 10 people you don't know. (laughs) You could do both. uh, 10 people I don't know, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I thought that'd be easier for you. I thought you'd easily pick the first one. Either or. It's uh, 10,000 people. I mean, it's a crowd. Right. I'd rather not. Okay. Rejected for the prom, John, mm. or rejected for an acting role? Uh, uh, never rejected. Uh, 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 rejected for an acting role. Really? Because yeah, you're waiting. You know. And what about waiting. the? Pr- you were never rejected for the prom, no. right? No. Uh, oh. You're waiting though yeah. by the phone and right. thinking, please, and it doesn't come sometimes. 
Work as a bike messenger, John, yeah. or work as a talking Christmas tree? I love them both. Uh, but it might uh, work as a bike messenger. Okay, there we yeah. go. Continuing things you don't want to do twice. Uh, date a crazy person? <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> Just stop right there. Date a or, crazy person. <laughs> or break up with someone who's really nice. No, date a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> Live in a funeral home, John, or yeah. sell women's shoes? Oh, uh, again, I mean... Eh, live in a funeral home. <laughs> uh, the morning show in radio yeah. or the weekend show in radio? Uh, the weekend show in okay. radio. Yeah. Got it. Uh, continuing things you don't want to do twice, uh, buy tires on Craigslist <laughs> <laughs> or Thriftique? <laughs> <laughs> buy tires on Craigslist because then your life is in your hands. That's so when you think, like, what that. is happening? No. Uh, get to know your spouse's family mm-hmm. or help your spouse to get to know your family? <laughs> Get to know uh, your spouse. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, shoulder replacement surgery or the rebuilding of your ankle with crutches for 18 oh, months? Oh, I do not want to do that again. The rebuilding of my ankle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Run out of money in Europe or run out of money in Pittsburgh? Oh, run out of money in Pittsburgh. It's a lot easier. Fight with your boss or fight with your mother? <laughs> fight with my boss. Uh, find a house or find a co-host for your radio program? Oh, I do not want to do that ever again. <laughs> Thank goodness that you're here, Kathy Emmons. <laughs> Find a co-host. Talk to your kids about sex or teach your kids to drive? <laughs> eh, teach my kids to drive. Choose between peanut butter and jelly or choose between Joe Biden or Donald Trump uh, for yeah, president? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's between those two guys. Yikes. In today's Washington Post, there's a really beautiful article. That's um, The headline is, they've lived 100 years and here's their, here's their advice about everything. It, don't you love to sit at the knee yes. of older people and hear their stories? Yeah, but we're right? bad about that in this country, in this culture. We tend to ignore yeah. our old people. Yeah, I not? think I think that's really stupid. Yep. Yeah, that's just, I mean, other countries do it very well. Yeah, they? I know. Right? But here, here's a little peek into people's lives. There's a guy named uh, Sam Baker. He's 101. He lives in Scottsdale, Arizona. He uh, was a World War II vet. A four-decade career in government. He's retired. He has not stopped working, though. He writes children's books, received a patent for a football helmet that he developed to reduce concussion risks. Hmm. Best of all, though, uh, uh, best of all the things he's done, though, he said, is marrying Janet. His advice is to choose the right partner and appreciate the time you have. He says, now, she died. Janet died uh, at the age of 88 from a heart valve issue. And he said, I often think of her, and I keep asking myself for a long time, did I ever tell her enough how much I loved her? Hmm. He said, it took me years to process his grief. He said, you've had these 50-some years together, and then suddenly it's taken away from you. He said, for a long time, I, I, I was lost. But then he realized that, quote, he was still whole and God still had plans for him. So new hobbies and pursuits have kept his mind engaged. And he still wants to live to 105 because he wants to try to solve the water problem in Arizona. And it will take him until 105 to do this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I bet. Yep. There's a woman who's 107. Her name is Shutsi Hakusoi. Well, I'm guessing there. She lives in Japan. She's 107. And she is determined to claim a, a world's record for the oldest barber she is in the in the world. Currently, 108 years old. And she's the, still cutting people's hair. Mm-hmm. I need to work until I'm 109, she said. She moved from a, a rural town to Tokyo at the age of 14 to train as a barber, which is a male-dominated industry. And uh, I was going to say, I... I... 
Yeah, for sure. She said she received her license at the age of 19. She said that was the happiest day of my life. But not long after, her husband was killed in World War II. Mm. She moved back to the countryside, which uh, she opened a barbershop, which she still runs today. The key to a long life, she says, is a career that fills you with joy. My job is passion. Every person's hair I cut is a blessing to me. How about that? Isn't that wonderful? Mm -hmm. Very nice. How many people can say that about their job after that many years? Very few people. Very few people. Uh, Queenie Evelyn Robbie Hall, who's 100, she lives in Stowmarket, Britain. Uh, she thinks back on 100 years on earth. She said, uh, she has one main regret. She said, I wish that I had a decent education. Mm. And so that's what I would say. Get yourself a decent education and then you can't go wrong. She said the only thing she ever wanted was pocket money. Her mother washed other families' clothes to feed her and her five siblings after her father passed away. Uh, and uh, she worked in a factory. Uh, today, she wishes that she had made a different choice. And she stresses to everybody, particularly women and young girls, the importance of pursuing an education. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a man who lives in India. And I, I cannot pronounce his name. I'm sorry. He's 100 years old. And uh, he says that uh, when he was in early 20s, uh, that he would, um, quote, hold your ground in being principled was his advice to his three children. Even if there are consequences, you stand up for what you know is right. That's excellent advice, isn't it? Um, Colin Bell, who lives in Greater London, he's 102, has learned the importance of patience and a sense of humor. But these virtues don't come as early in his 20s when he and his wife, Kathleen, had uh, children. He said, I didn't understand when in my my 20s the importance of kindness and tolerance at that early age. He said, I like to think I've developed it since. Uh, That's very good advice, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Madeline Paldo, who's 101, she lives here in the States in River Grove, Illinois. She said, cherish your friendships. Mm. Do not neglect those who are around you, uh, the lifelong journey that you travel on together. Hmm. Excellent advice. Uh, anyway, the, the entire article is in today's Washington Post. It can be derived free if you're an occasional reader. Just good advice uh, to grow old together or just to grow old. Uh, kindness and tolerance mm-hmm. is one of the things that someone mentioned. Yep. Um, stand your ground. Know your principles. Stand your ground. Right. right? Um, marry the right person. Yep. Okay. I think everybody knows that that's important. It's just the how of it. The how. The how. How do you know that you're marrying the right person? That's the question. I wish he would have delved more into that. I, how do you know? How do Is you it know? just a matter of? How do you know? I mean, you know, follow your heart. I mean, that's not that's that's shaky. When you follow your heart, you wind up in some. I remember one night before my husband and I were engaged, and I said to my roommate. If I know him for 50 years, I'm going to think he's the same kind of person that I think he is now. And that's true. And that is true. That is proven true. That is true. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I don't know. I just could tell Mm -hmm. that he was solid. Solid. Yeah. I really could. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking to myself when I met my, when I met my wife, this is a strong and good woman. Is that right? Mm -hmm. I knew right away. I knew right away. It's a strong and good woman. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. But 
it's dicey out there dating, right? Because you meet all sorts of people and, you know, your heart tells you one thing, you're attracted physically, which is right. a dangerous thing, right? right? I mean, it's, it's a powerful thing, but at the same time, it's shaky as I'll right. get out. Or what about people who are, who are compatible but aren't attracted physically mm-hmm. in particular? And so it, what does that mean? Does, then you think... That has to be a it has to be a, It has to be a component. Yeah. But we all know what happens when we know people who that was too much of a component. Right. And, and then falls that, away. Exactly. And then all of a sudden there's... Chaos. It dissolves. Right. It dissolves. Right. Right. I, I don't know. I think out of all the things you mentioned... To me, that's the hardest. Like the the well, I, the other one I think is hard is the woman who's enjoyed her work for that long. Yeah. The barber. There just are very few people that are going to enjoy the work they're doing as much as she's enjoying that work. Well, I think a lot of people do enjoy their work, but that much where she's going to say that, like I've I've enjoyed every single day of working. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting is uh, you know, she's in her own shop, so oh, that's a good point. She's got her own place. I mean, my wife has a small business. Mm-hmm. She's in her own shop. I tell you this. She could do that forever. It's her happiest of happy places. She's in love with that place. Yeah. And the idea of losing that hurts her. Right. Right. So she's created that happiness. So what? So the difficulty comes when you have to work with other people. <laughs> so if everybody was self-employed, right, everybody would think their job was terrific. I don't think. I, but you know what? She spends a lot of solitary time. I don't think I'd want to do that. I couldn't do that. Yeah, I don't think I would either. But she actually. does. I mean, it's it's a really weird thing. I mean, it's a retail. So she's solitary, but she also engages the public. And it's artistic. So all those things together make up who she is. Hmm. Anyway, I guess the moral of the story is to listen to people who are old and listen to what they have to would say. Would we were so, yeah. right? I mean, you think the things that we could skip out, the, the horror that we could circumnavigate or just completely go in the other direction if we just talk to somebody who knew something. Well, there's wisdom there. Look, we're just talking to Richard Marlowe. Look at that wisdom. Right. Rich is not 100, but he's getting up there. Yep. Wish we all are. Poster in the southern Spanish city of Seville that depicts a young, handsome Jesus wearing only a loincloth has unleashed a storm on social media with some calling it an affront to the figure of Christ and others posting lewd remarks and memes poking fun at the image. The poster by uh, internationally recognized Seville artist um, Garcia Cruz shows a fresh-faced Jesus without a crown of thorns, no suffering face, and minuscule wounds on his hands and ribcage. It was commissioned and approved by the General Council of Brotherhoods, which organizes the renowned and immensely popular Holy Week processions ahead of Easter in Seville. Mm. Now, as soon as it was unveiled last week, criticism of it went viral on social media, and debate erupted over how a resurrected Christ should be depicted. Many called it a disgrace, inappropriate, too pretty, modernist, and out of line with Seville's Eastern tradition, Easter tradition. Now, Spain, of course, is predominantly Catholic, and church traditions such as marriage, baptisms, and religious parades are immensely popular, both among believers and non-believers. 
a campaign on change.org to have the poster of Jesus withdrawn was signed some by some 14,000 people from around the country. And the artist, Garcia, he defended the work and he dismissed the poster's critics as old-fashioned. He says, the, uh, quote, there is nothing revolutionary in the painting. Uh, there is contemporary. This is contemporary, but all the elements that I've used are elements that have been used in the last seven centuries of sacred art. You see the poster. Too bad we can't show it to you. On, yeah. On, we're, of course okay, we're, so this is what I would say. The first thing is that he looks Spanish. <laughs> which, Jesus. Yeah, he looks yeah. super Spanish, mm-hmm. um, which is not a problem. Which is... Well, Except that he wasn't white. Spanish. But he... It, it looks... Sexualized. I think that's the best word I can come up with. I, I would too. And so opening it up... And again, I want to look at it with a fresh face and not to be prudish. Right, right. Because it is, I believe it is a sexualized image in a way. I'm a little uncomfortable looking at it. I'm not uncomfortable looking at it. I mean, I'm a little bit uncomfortable looking at it. You're a guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, just, he's, he's perfect looking. He's very, very handsome. He has big brown eyes. He's incredibly fit, like mm-hmm. absurdly fit. He's biff. Yeah, he is definitely buff. Um, I, what do you think that's over his head? Well, I can't, I can't that... tell because on my image, it's it doesn't show. Oh, oh, well, that looks like a, a kind of a halo or... of some sort. Anyway, that also looks Spanish, right? I mean, it would be interesting to see, you know, this has been going on this, um, the Holy Week processions in Seville. There has to be poster after poster, depiction after depiction of Christ from this procession over the many years, right? It there. Maybe another thing that's weird about it that I'm uncomfortable looking at are the eyes. Jesus expression is. I don't know. Detached. Mm-hmm. The uh, the mayor of Seville, Spain, says um, the controversy is artificial. Quote: I like the poster. He said, uh, not all Holy Week posters can be the same each year. Some posters are riskier, some more classical, and some are more daring. Which uh, I think that's probably a fair assessment. This is a daring, if you wanted to go there, a depiction of Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus is a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But I, my first impression was, this is a, an odd sexualization okay, of Jesus. That's, okay, that's what I thought, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway. I, I mean... We, we would suggest, look it up. I mean, if you Googled um, Jesus Christ Seville Easter poster, mm-hmm. right? Those yeah, keywords, you, can you would see what find you the think. poster and see what we're talking about. Because first we're radio. It makes me uncomfortable. Really? No. Yeah, I think it does. I would, I, I'd be curious to see more traditional... Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, good afternoon. Greetings to you. Thank you for coming along for the Friday, February 2nd edition of The Ride Home. It is Groundhog Day, Kathy. It is. Mm -hmm. Were you moved by a Phil not seeing his shadow? So, 
we have less than six weeks of winter. I feel very good about that. Me too. And it's warm out today. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's kind of sunny, kind of not sunny, depending on which time of day, or, you know, and where you are in the Pittsburgh area. But not like, snowy and cold. But it's not snowy and cold, so mm-hmm. I feel like we're good. So uh, the origins of Groundhog Day and Punxsutawney Phil, these go back I a have no long, idea where that comes time. from. Well, let me tell you a little bit, Tom. Uh, an article in the uh, Washington Post, uh, a part of tradition that's rooted in European agricultural life, marking the midpoint between the shortest day of the year on the winter solstice and the spring equinox. That's when Groundhog Day is. Mm-hmm. Really? Also a time of year that figures in the Celtic calendar and the Christian holiday of Candlemas. And in eastern and central Pennsylvania, where people of German descent have been watching the groundhog's annual emergence from hibernation for centuries, there's a tradition of groundhog clubs and celebrations that are independent of Phil. Some dismiss the Punxsutawney event as an unworthy ritual to their own festivities, while they say forecasts more accurate weather predictions are available. There have been weather-predicting groundhogs in at least 28 United States states and Canadian provinces and less formal (coughs) celebrations far and wide. One thing, though, it is not serious business. Never. In any of these... Like, nobody takes this seriously? No. This is just a big party. Quote, we know this is silly. We know this is fun, said Marcy Galando, executive director of the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club. We want people to come here with a sense of humor. Celtic people across Europe mark the four days that are midway between the winter solstice, the spring equinox, the summer solstice, and the fall equinox, while the Celts called Imbolic is also around when Christians celebrate Candlemas, time to Joseph and Mary's presentation of Jesus at the temple in Jerusalem. Hmm. Okay. Ancient people would watch the sun, the stars, and animal behavior to guide farming practices and other decisions. And the um, practice of watching an animal's emergence from winter hibernation to forecast weather has its roots in a similar German tradition involving badgers or bears. Pennsylvania Germans apparently substituted the groundhog endemic to the eastern and midwestern United States. Historians have found a reference in an 1841 diary to groundhog weather forecast in early February among families of German descent in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, according to the late Don Yoder, who was a University of Pennsylvania professor with a 2003 book about Groundhog Day and the Celtic tradition. Punxsutawney is an area that Pennsylvania Germans settled and in the late 1880s started to celebrate the holiday by picnicking, hunting, and eating groundhog. What? Members of the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club organized in 1899 Care for Phil at a customized space beside Punxsutawney Memorial Library. Uh, the groundhog makes predictions, but of course, the Bill Murray movie right. caused a massive resurgence and in interest. Alcohol is um, now prohibited at Gobbler's Knob because during that uh, resurgence, event organizers voiced concerns about rowdy crowds drinking all night, people climbing trees, and others stripping to their underwear. In 1998, a groundhog club leader wearing a $4,000 groundhog suit reported being assaulted by a half dozen young men. And so, hence the alcohol <laughs> prohibition. Now, the groundhog. I hate to laugh. I'm sorry to laugh. Yeah, well, he wore a four thousand dollars yeah, suit. Yeah, I mean, the what's groundhog he is a member of the squirrel family and related to chipmunks and prairie dogs. It's also known as a woodchuck or a whistle pig. Groundhogs are herbivores, and they themselves are edible to humans. 
although they are not wildly consumed. Their lifespan in the wild is typically just two or three years. Pennsylvania Game Commission says about 36,000 hunters reported killing more than 200,000 groundhogs (gasps) last year. Game Commission spokesperson Travis Lau found groundhog to eat a bit stinky to clean with thick skin. He said, though, quote, it was actually really good, no doubt about it, and to my taste, more like beef than venison is. The whole family ate it and liked it, and everybody had um, apprehensions about it, but it was an enjoyable meal. Some cooks advise groundhogs are best taken when they are young and after clover is in bloom, since clover is a diet thought to improve the meat's taste. That seems wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm not comfortable talking about this. Really? Uh, Well-meaning efforts to determine Phil's accuracy about uh, winter, six weeks of winter, means is uh, debatable, claims that a groundhog has or has not seen its shadow, and that it's able to communicate that to a human are also fair territory for skeptics. By all accounts, of course, Phil predicts more winter more often than he predicts an early spring. Mm -hmm. Groundhogs are mostly solitary creatures who start to emerge in midwinter to find a, a mate. The science behind whether they can make any accurate weather predictions is problematic at best. Among the skeptics is the National Center for Environmental Information within the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. The government agency last year compared Phil's record with U.S. national temperatures over the period decade, prior decade, and concluded that he was right about 40% of the time. Thank you to the Washington Post for yes. that article. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I'm saying this as someone who doesn't need food. Mm-hmm. I recognize that. Yeah. But I never even contemplated eating a groundhog. That a groundhog could be eaten. Well, everything's edible. Well, uh, you know much. what I mean. Yeah. But it's an animal. So imagine being, you know, out in the woods and caring for yourself and your family. You're going to get what I you get can that. get. I get that. Except now it's 2023 and. 200,000 were taken last year. That just seemed, and I I don't feel like we should talk about it on Groundhog Day. This is the day that we honor Phil and his, and his luxury accommodation. Sorry. So we're told we're busy. We are a busy people, yes? Whether self-invented busyness with our phones or true busyness with our daily work, we as believers in Jesus Christ are called to Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Enough is enough, says our next guest, to lay things down. We're happy to welcome to the show uh, someone we saw on Christianity Today, Adam Gustine, who is the author of Becoming a Just Church, Cultivating Communities of God's Shalom. He joins us at the University of Notre Dame Institute for Advanced Study. He wrote a piece in CT, as I said, called Sabbath is Not a Luxury Good. Adam, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Adam, I don't know, as I was reading your article today, I was thinking how hard it is for me to kind of look at myself or look at my culture because I'm, you know, the frog who's been, you know, slowly getting warmed by it. I mean, work, 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 work. Last night, interestingly enough, I got home late. I I went out with some friends and uh, I came. It was 1030 at night. And I thought, you know what? I haven't worked tonight. I I should do some work. And so. I sat there at 1030 work. and I went to work and I didn't think anything of it. Um, and then when I when my alarm went off this morning, I thought something of it because I thought, but why am I so tired? Probably because I was working from 1030 to midnight. Um, but that's just the pace of life that we that at least I'm immersed in. Tell me about you. 
I, I don't think you're wrong. I think that, um, you know, the demands of the world that we live in hit all of us in different ways, but, the, you know, the, those kinds of similarities are there. The, the pressure to perform, the pressure to produce, I, I think that's, that's fairly common. If that's something we do to ourselves, if that's pressure we feel from, you know, people in particular, maybe it's our boss demanding those kinds of things, or just societal pressures. I, I definitely don't think you're alone there. Mm-hmm. So, Adam, if Sabbath is a stop sign that we blow through regularly, uh, you say, though, that Sabbath is an invitation to orient our lives around a different rhythm. Yeah? Yeah, I, I absolutely think that's true. I mean, it, it, Sabbath is at least from our sort of modern American perspective, pretty countercultural. You know, there's so many forces that uh, tempt us to define our own value by what we can produce. And I think that Sabbath is actually calling that, like, mistaken belief into question, um, that that God has, God has, like, created this world for us to take delight in. And if that's true, then that frees us up to find our own value and worth in other things, uh, something that might be a little more what God had in mind from the beginning. Mm. So you say that to, that to you, you think that the Sabbath is God's invitation to say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, what, I mean, and so, I, what, so what is uh, enough? What is enough? Enough of this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, there, there, I think that Sabbath is a reminder to us that there is like a moral limit to what our bodies can produce. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting is that the first time Sabbath is practiced in Scripture, God practices Sabbath first. Yeah. Um, and, and the interesting thing to me is that, you know, I've heard Sabbath talked about in various ways uh, my whole life. Uh, and, and it's always kind of framed as like recuperation time. Yeah. You know, we spend ourselves so much that we need a recuperation time. Well, it's interesting. If God is the first to practice Sabbath, I don't think that's because God needed to recoup. <laughs> right. You know? Um, right. I don't think that it's because He just needed God some time alone. A, exactly. It's not, it's not a physical limit, but it might be a moral one because it, it may be that, that there is something about refusing to rest that is a little bit of an idol of our own making, you know? It is yeah. a it is an indication that maybe we believe that God hasn't given us enough. You know, it's like the people of Israel in the Old Testament going out on the seventh day to try and find more manna when God has said, I've given you enough on the sixth day. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's like a baked-in lack of trust that what God has given is enough. And I think that's where Sabbath is that reminder, that enough is Enough. You know, there's a couple of ways you can talk about enough, like when my son does just enough to pass a class. You know, that's like a bare minimum way of thinking about it. I think we're tempted to think about God's enough like that. But actually, abundance, you might say, come over for dinner. We have more than enough. Hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean that everybody's barely going to get fed. It means that at this table, there is plenty. And I think hmm. that's what Sabbath is a reminder of that, like, when you stop, you can remind yourself that with God, there is plenty. I love that. That is really good. We're talking with Adam Gustine. He wrote a piece in Christianity Today, Sabbath is not a luxury good. Adam, in reading your piece, you talk about uh, 
you know, Sabbath, not necessarily like a solitary thing. Like I think of Sabbath, oh, I, I'm home on a Sunday afternoon, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. lounging on the couch and reading. But I, I, I'm old enough to remember the, what, what was in Pennsylvania called the Blue Laws. And I remember, mm-hmm. you know, being a kid and walking through my small town in the business district and all the stores were closed on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. talk about this as the idea of, you know, um, Sabbath was not designed, you say, by God and for isolated individuals, but as a reset for the community. Yeah, I, I, that's great. I, I think that's uh, super interesting. One of the things that I think maybe is underexplored is, um, you know, maybe many of us have heard about Sabbath and think about it similarly. I need a day during the week where I stop from work. Yeah. But the more you think about that Old Testament um, notion of Sabbath, that one day in seven was actually kind of a reminder of this bigger idea related to Sabbath, where every not every seven days, but every seven years, there was kind of a, a reset for a society that like might drift out of whack over time. And, and, and they were all really interestingly connected to the idea of economics. So every seven years, debts would be forgiven. Uh, every seven years, people that had become enslaved due to debts were released from those enslavements. And every seven years, fields were meant to be given a rest. You, you shouldn't plant every seven years. And all of those have that same, that same sort of idea that, that I think God's trying to get through to us in that weekly Sabbath, where when God says there's like a moral limit to what you should expect to extract from yourself, the same is true from like the way we uh, take debts over people and the way that we try to extract from the land. There's this whole notion of like, no, we need to stop taking mm. and allow ourselves to delight in what God has given mm. us. The, the layer that I think is a little bit different with this every seven years is that there seems to be, uh, at least in God's uh, perspective, this, this like admission that we're probably not going to get this right. And so while God doesn't need to recoup, uh, we do because we take too much from ourselves. You know, that's why the land needs a rest. That's why we need to forgive our debtors, because society-wide, we're going to take too much from the land or from these economically vulnerable folks. And that that seven-year reminder is this idea that, that actually we do need to be restored because we've probably taken too much from ourselves and from others. Uh, which I think is a really interesting layer to the whole Sabbath oh, conversation. I never, th- I never th- looked at it that way, Adam. That is really interesting. So enough is enough. Um, too much from ourselves. Yeah. Too. Yeah. We've we've maybe given too much and taken too much. Both. Absolutely, and I think that that's that fundamental relational nature of the way that society is meant to be. And I think Sabbath is a reminder that God has an ideal way for communities to interact. That yeah, I can be taken from, and I can take too much from myself, but I might I might do that to others as well. And so the idea of 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 I'm going to forgive all these debts. What's interesting in those commands where it says to forgive debtors, it's not just to wipe it clean, but then to actually lavish that debtor with abundance from your storehouse, because likely they fell into slavery or they fell into those debts because they were in economic peril. But if I give you out of my abundance, that actually restores you. You're not back to zero. You're mm-hmm. you're in the plus. You're able to participate in the community in a more human and authentic and relational way. So I, I definitely think that 
that the that the opportunity there with Sabbath is to imagine how we might live together in community the way that God intends. Well, that's fascinating. Okay, so this is a sort of Sabbath reset. You know, you're saying imagine uh, and to dare to build a world where enough is enough. And it's not just on Sunday, but Hollywood looked through the lens of a whole new creation if we had that Sabbath enough is enough in our lives in all the things we did, said, prayed, thought about, engaged with. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the the great uh, responsibility, but in some ways the great opportunity of being people of the kingdom of God is that, you know, Jesus comes and doesn't abolish the law. He fulfills it. He He lives it, and he enacts this new world in the midst of the old world where everything that God intends is coming to bear and coming to fruition in him. And then he charges his people with being hands and feet, give life to it, and imagine what it could look like to to be people who see the economically vulnerable restored, to be people who proactively take delight in God's creation abundance, uh, to, to, to say, you know what, we're going to not take and take and take and take as an act of belief and celebration that God provides everything that we need. That, to me, is a really invigorating charge for the people of God. Mm-hmm. What would it look like in our community to do things like this? What would it look like to extend that notion that God is abundant and God shares his abundance with us uh, to our neighbors in really creative, compelling ways? That, to me, is the idea, if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, then I want to live every day like that, not just, you know, Sunday afternoon or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's so lovely. Yeah. So uh, looking at the Sabbath as uh, we need a break from the world and the world needs a break from us. Uh, it's okay, but yeah, nah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, so give me some concrete way. So let me back up and say that when, uh, when my husband and I married, uh, he said the Sabbath was absolutely vital for him. And I, to be honest with you, I'd never really thought about it. I knew it was a mm-hmm. commandment, but I was like, you know, whatever. I, I can't mm-hmm. tell you how formative that's been on our family, on, you know, raising our kids, everything like that. I mean, it's just, it's one, it, it's probably the single best thing I've learned from my husband over all these years is just the incredible value of it. Um, so I've changed by observing the Sabbath. I'm a different person. Mm. Our kids are different. Our rhythm of life is different. How has observing the Sabbath changed you? Yeah, to me, to me, it's, I think the, the great possibility for, for many things in the Christian life is that when God does work in us, it helps us see the world. It helps us see our neighbor with maybe a different set of lenses than we saw before. And so, you know, in taking the Sabbath seriously, even just, you know, like this one day uh, in in seven idea, uh, at, at our house, there are, there are ways that, you know, our family tries to live into this in small ways. And this is not something we, we get perfectly. We certainly long for more of it. As you say, we feel the same pressures that everybody feels. But the interesting thing to me is that in the ways that this happens at our house, so we try to refrain from what might crassly be called chores (laughs) on the Sabbath, and and we let that rest because we don't have to attend to it. 
You know, like there are there are enough hours in the week to attend to these other things. But but what that does is, if I'm being honest, that sometimes that creates a little like anxiety in me when I'm not attending to all these things that are going on in my head. But when I say it creates an opportunity, it creates an opportunity to ask a really important question about why that creates anxiety in me. What is it that that not working is uh, is revealing uh, about the way that I think about my own value and what I'm, you know, I, am I really obsessed with production and that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. And then I think in, 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 in a community, if, if I need a, a day a week to rest, to uh, be restored by God, I'm not alone. That's true for everyone. And yet I look across my neighborhood, I look across my community, and I see tired and hungry and haggard people that that don't have the quote-unquote luxury of taking a day off what does it mean to be a neighbor that cares and loves and concerns so when i i think i think the sabbath gives us the opportunity to see the world and our own lives with different lenses that's good adam thanks Uh, this is a really interesting conversation for both of us Uh, a a new imagining in some way of how we look and engage with the sabbath Uh, we appreciate your time here with us yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Our pleasure. Adam Gustine, he is the author of Becoming a Just Church, Cultivating Communities of God Shalom. He works at the University of Notre Dame's Institute for Advanced Study. And uh, we're talking about a piece that uh, we saw in Christianity Today. Sabbath is not a luxury good. God designed weekly rest to be holy for all people. Adam Gustine. Sunday's going to be weird. I mean, not real football, right? For the first time since... Yeah, there's nothing. There's like a... You should watch golf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I appreciate that you like golf. I do. It's very soothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Basketball. Nah. No. I'm not interested. Okay. My kids are. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think maybe this weekend would be a good time to get prepared for next weekend because the Super Bowl will be happening. And whether your team's in it or not, Clearly, ours isn't. No. Uh, it's a party. It's a party in my I house, agree, yeah. right? Um, and so I have already started thinking about what might be included mm-hmm. in my Super Bowl party. Your menu. Yeah. And so what I do is, you know, I, if I think of something, I'll Google it and look for a recipe, you know, something. How would I prepare this? How yeah, would, sure. Well, there is a company who's been assessing that. They have been assessing what people in all of these states, all the 40, are Googling Prior to the Super Bowl, as far as Super Bowl snacks. Really? Okay. Here's what's on the menu. Exactly. Um, And so they're revealing the go-to food in each state for this year, Mm -hmm. like what people are looking to make. This is very interesting to me. I like it. So first off, should we talk about us? Yes. Okay. In Pennsylvania, people are Googling Super Bowl food plus buffalo wings. Of course. Okay. That is not a surprise to me. No. Who doesn't like that a does wing? Not, does not surprise me at all. However, when you look at the other states, they are a total surprise. Really? Okay, so name a state. Uh, California. California. Nachos. Yeah. The nachos? nachos. I got to be honest with you. The nachos in California, there's something that tastes different about them. Of course. Because- They're so mm. amazing. Yeah, that's light. 
they're just so delicious. Okay. We had nachos the other night. So good. They were very good, yeah. Very, very good. Okay. Texas. Texas. Uh, chips and salsa. Uh, of course, because, yeah. How about Maine? Mm-hmm. Meatballs. <laughs> I like a meatball. So do I. Yeah, yeah. But I, would, I wouldn't think of making for meatballs a, for the Super Bowl, but like I like it. it. Well, people do like, you know, a big pot of meatballs. Yeah, I think that's right? a great idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, South Dakota. South Dakota says this, uh, tater tots. <laughs> I don't like tater a tater. Tots? Do you like a tater tot? No, I don't really like a tater no, tot. I think I'm it seems a, weirdly engineered. It is very engineered. I'm not pro tater tot. No, no, no. 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 Um, uh, how about um, Iowa? Iowa. Also tater tots. Oh, it's a Midwest thing then. Okay. Florida. Uh, guacamole. Yeah, give me some guac. Now, that's a great mm-hmm, idea. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. a great idea. South Carolina? Mm-hmm. Chili dog. A chili dog. I like a chili dog. You know, I used to love a chili dog at the O. Oh, yes. That was a good dog. Listen, the, uh-huh. I miss it so Me too. much. I really miss have it. Have you been to the place there? No, Neither have I. I. I can't to. go in there. I no. feel disloyal. Yeah, me too. I don't want yeah. it. All right. Um, Ohio. Buffalo wings. Of course. But mm-hmm. Oklahoma. Yeah. Queso. Queso. Mm-hmm. Really? Colorado. Colorado. Uh, garlic knots. What the heck's a garlic knot? <laughs> I think it's like a, like a like okay. pizza crust, but like in a knot. Like a pretzel. Like I think garlic so. Garlic pretzel. I, that's that's what I'm guessing. Really? That's the number one thing in Colorado this year. Wisconsin. Uh, queso. Really? Tennessee. Pigs in a blanket. I like a pig in a blanket, don't you? Nevada. Yeah. Mozzarella sticks. Oh. Uh, Alabama. Yeah. Chili. Mm. Arkansas. Fried pickles. <laughs> I mean, isn't that, this is really fascinating. Fascinating. Delaware. Crab ball. Oh, of course. The Delaware people, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, and Idaho. Seven-layer dip. Man, it runs the gamut. Louisiana, spinach and artichoke dip. I like that, too. Rhode Island, garlic parmesan wings. Stop, I'm hungry. Holy smokes. It's been another week. That means it's time for John and Kathy's Week in Review. What was everyone talking about this week? Well, I think a lot of people were talking oddly about Iran and a growing sense mm-hmm. of war in the Middle East, mm-hmm. which is crazy town talk, but it feels as though they're poking a bear here. We're being prodded into something which is really dangerous. Yep, I agree with you. That was the number one thing I, I put down. Also, I think a lot of people are talking about immigration. Yes. Um, because uh, the president's saying, well, I can't do anything about it. Come on. It, Congress needs to do something about it. You can do a lot Never. about it. Anyway. Uh, also, the uh, new offensive coordinator for the Steelers. How about that? Is uh, engendering a lot of convo okay. around uh, the tri-state area. Bring it. We need something. What was a conversation that made you think? Tuesday, 510 with Jay Slocum on forgiveness. He went back to the Frederica Green, Matthews Green model of forgiveness in his new church. Well, it's not her model. It's right. the Orthodox Church model. Right. But he heard it here. Which he Through talked, her, right. Right. To stand in a circle in your church and people go around individually asking congregants, if I have harmed you in any way, please forgive me. Part of their Lenten practice that I can't. I love that. I, I, I love it too, but. I, you don't think you can do it? 
Oh, I think I could do right. it, but I think it would be really challenging. I think so too. I, th- I think it'd be all really necessary. Yeah, I agree. What about you? Um, I picked our Wednesday conversation at 4.40 with Ann Kennedy on the subject, Are You More Empathetic <laughs> Than God? Yeah. I mean, you know, I saw the headline and I thought, okay, that's kind of weird. Boy, reading it, it was so challenging to me and so, so challenging yeah. to our culture and how we look at um, at empathy and sympathy and, and how... Because we become so emotional, especially toward other people who are online, who we don't know, um, we we end up thinking that the the world rises and falls on our empathy, as opposed to knowing that there is a God who is full of compassion and perfect in his compa- in his compassion, yes. as opposed to the uh, the efforts that we give. Anyway, it was fascinating. I really encourage you to listen to it. It's available on our podcast, as is the conversation with Jay Slocum that John mentioned, and you can get our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. What are you reading? I've transitioned from short stories this week to, I'm, I'm reading uh, uh, Henry Nouwen. Or are Ollie you? Nouwen. Yes. Yeah. Um, here, I went digging for it because I've been thinking, I've had a weird week. This book is called Following Jesus, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. Interesting. Okay. And uh, like a lot of uh, Henri Nouwen's book. books, they're slim. If you had a, like a library, they're slim, but they are simple and profoundly deep. So uh, the idea of anxiety and how do you cast that anxiety and how God is in the center of all this, this has been I'm only 50 pages in, but it's been a balm for mm-hmm. me. Following Jesus, finding our way home in an age of anxiety, Henri Nouwen. Mm. His books require a lot of you. They do. Yeah. It's, it's solitary reading. Yeah, I think it's good. Uh, I'm still reading Paris uh, by Edward Rutherford. I'm about halfway through. I'm in a very, very interesting place. Oh, good. Uh, so it's good. I'm listening to it uh, and reading it at the same time. I mean, not at the same time, but I'm doing both things mm-hmm. uh, because it's a little out of my comfort zone with the language. Uh, but anyway, I recommend it. What did you eat? Well, you know, I, I, Kath always calls me out on this. We'll, we'll oh, I can't wait to hear. She'll go, I'll go, well, that's so easy. <laughs> right, that's so easy. <laughs> well, you know, I'm stepping up here because um, uh, this week I made fried chicken. Yes, you made it yourself. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't that easy. But it was pretty easy. Okay. I mean, really, you know, I cut the chicken. Yeah? Uh, um, you did the batter? I dipped it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's good, John. What'd you dip it in? Uh, just uh, uh, salt and pepper, okay. some cayenne pepper, uh-huh. um, a little Parmesan, okay, um, and some egg and flour. Wow. It was good. And did you do a side dish with that? Uh, just some cauliflower. Okay. And a baked potato. Okay. Very nice. That's nice, It's a good little meal. I was all happy with myself. I'm impressed. <laughs> That's what we had, fried chicken. I and there was leftovers as well. Perfect. Which I've been dining on. Perfect. You? Uh, last night, uh, we went out to a Golden Age Brewery, the Golden Age Brewery oh. in Homestead. And I'd never been there before. We went out to hear some live music. The Boilermaker nice. Jazz Band was oh, playing. Excellent. And so a bunch of us went out. And uh, what a fun place. Really? It's it's right on Eighth on home in Homestead uh, in Homestead really and it's just it's on a cold night it's warm in there the music was terrific how was the crowd the crowd was good I had a smash burger really? yeah it was really it was really enjoyable so I want to thank all the people from Golden Age Brewing for being such nice hosts Excellent. last night what did you watch. 
Uh, well, as we are wont to do, we uh, went to the movies again this week, and uh, we saw a film called The Zone of Interest. It is uh, about the commandant of Auschwitz, um, Rudolf House and his wife, and they strive to build this dream life for their family in a house and a garden next to the ovens in Auschwitz. Derived from a book called The Zone of Interest, which is a true story. This person did exist. And as you might imagine, shocking in its banality of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I never even considered that about the people working in Auschwitz, living right outside the walls. And, they, and you know, we're sort of inundated with, you know, uh, stories of the Holocaust, as I think we should be. This is a very singular take because you don't see violence. You hear it in the really? distance as the children are out in the garden playing or in the swimming pool. And you see it in the people's eyes, but it's shocking. The zone of interest. Wow. Well, I watched something that had much less impact. I started watching True Detective on HBO uh, because uh, True Detective has been out for a while. There are a bunch of seasons, mm-hmm. uh, but there's it stars different people each time, as I understand oh, it. This is Jodie Foster. Yeah, and this is the Jodie Foster one. And she's an interesting actor to me. Mm-hmm. And right. so I thought that I, I haven't seen Jodie Foster in a long time, so I thought I would watch it. Holy heck. I'm not going there. Wow. I'm watching Barry on it's HBO. It's a lot. Are you? Is yeah. that funny? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. I wondered if it would be. It's well worth it. Is it? I'm just, yeah. Okay. Well, True Detective isn't funny even I don't one little see it. even one little bit. Because watching Barry, you see they're running ads for it nonstop. Yeah. And I was like, at first I was like, oh, I'd watch it. And then it's I'm like, tough. no, I'm not going to see it's that. It's pretty tough. What was the best news you heard this week? Uh, for me, at least individually, I was um, less on social media and more social. Oh, which, okay. Uh, engaging. <laughs> It's, we talk about this often. Isn't it better to lay it down? Yes. Look, we just talked to Richard Mao about this, looking people in the eye and hanging out. You're, you're a master at this, hanging out and having a good right. time. I don't think I'm a master right? at it at all. But I'll tell you, the best news I heard was that, too. Really? Very similar. Well, going out and hearing music. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I, I don't do that nearly as much no. as I used to because we spend a lot of time working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, when I'm done working, I'm tired out. But... This was really, it was really fun Excellent. to be with a group of people, and to, to hear great music. Uh, have a little something. Yeah, it was, it was great news. What have you been listening to? Oh, Cheetah Rivera passed away at 91. Huh. Cheetah Rivera, an icon of the American theater. How many shows, how many Tonys? She's fabulous. This goes back to 1960. Cheetah Rivera in West Side Story.
Cheetah Rivera. I mean, what a career. What a voice. One show after another. West Side Story, Bye Bye Birdie, Chicago, Kiss of the Spider Woman, Tony Awards in all those shows. 91, Cheetah Rivera. She was last on Broadway when she was 70 with Antonio Banderas. Wow. The passing of a great, a theater great. Wow, incredible. Well, as we do every week, John, I mean, I'm listening to something different. If I could, I'd go with you to a place I never knew. In your eyes, so dark and open, there's a light that leads me back to you. Cause you're not so that is so beautiful. That's Jacob Collier. That's his uh, latest uh, recording of Little Blue from the Mahogany Sessions. You have to go on YouTube and check this out and hear him sing with this choir. I mean, it's just incredible. Lex, play a little bit for us. Don't be afraid of the dark in your heart. You're going to find a to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, you're gonna find your Hey, as your weekend has officially begun, just a reminder that the weekend is coming up very soon for our Valentine's dinner cruise, just a couple of short weeks away, Yeah, February 16th, wordfm.com to join us to get your tickets. Tickets are very inexpensive, more so than if you were like using a, doing a regular cruise. Yeah, so if you wanted to go out on the rivers yourself at a regular cruise, um, you'd get the same uh, situation, but you'd pay a lot more money. Exactly. So that's why the Word FM uh, Valentine dinner cruise is such a bargain and plus you're going to meet a ton of great people you can bring your wife you can bring your sister you can bring your small group from church you can do whatever you want it's going to be a really fun break up the middle of the winter thing come join us i'm really looking forward to it and it's two weeks from tonight excellent Friday, February 16th, of course, two days past Valentine's Day, but make it special and don't have to spend a whole lot of chunk of money and bring whoever. Just come on and join us. Wordfm.com. You'll see the the, the link at the very top of the page. Tickets are on sale right now. Okay. uh, That's in a couple of weeks. This weekend, listen, there's some really cool things that are going on. Uh, Downtown, something, uh, Moby Dick. 
a multimedia puppet drama by the French theater troupe Plexus Polaire, the critically acclaimed show, seven actors, 50 puppets, video projections, an orchestra, whale-sized whale, high sea adventure, Herman uh, Herman Melville's play this evening and Saturday at the Byam Theater. Super cool. Really? Weren't you just reading short stories by Herman Melville? last two weeks, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, Indian-American composer Renee Esmail's this Love Between Us, Prayers for Unity, it blends uh, pieces of Bach's canonical Magnificant, The Love Between Us, a new program from Resonance Works, soloist singers as well. It's going to be um, at Trinity Cathedral downtown this evening, and then Sunday at Fox Chapel Press. Okay. Very cool. Uh, visual arts at CMU, This Is Not a Map, textiles, collages, video essays, runs this evening uh, through the 10th of February as well. So, something for everyone. I like it. Mm-hmm. Well, you're coming over to my house tomorrow. I am. Mm-hmm. Thank you for inviting Hope us. Hope I don't screw up the proofs. Oh, come on. You're going to love it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to enjoy the Sabbath as well. Exactly. Say your prayers to the church. Have a good weekend. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group.